certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. Today, court heard the moment forensic evidence linked the murders of Jane Rimmer and Kira Glennon for the first time. Welcome to day 72 of Claremont in Conversation. Natalie Bongiolo, Tim Clark and criminal defence lawyer Damien Cripps with you. Tim, today's witness delved even deeper into these 98 critical fibres and made a connection that we really had never heard before. Yeah, that's right, Matt. Um, he did. Dig, dig very deep. Um, as you say, there's 98 fibres that at the prosecution say are critical. Um, we got through about five of them today, so you can imagine how long we've got to go. But as Miss Barbara Gallo explained at the end of the day to the judge, I'm going as fast as I can, but I need to do need to go through them all. So, um, and two of these fibres um, related to Jane and. Kira, and they were found at different times, at different points in the investigation, but were eventually um, brought together um, through the database at the Chem Centre, which we discussed yesterday, the groundbreaking database, which was basically created because of all the different macro fibres. The first fibre was a blue fibre that was found in uh, Jane's hair um, through the various um, investigations and examinations of Jane's hair, which we've also detailed, that um, it was found in a bucket, um, having been taken from the post-mortem, split into five different areas, shaken, tweezed, examined under polylight, and, I mean, hundreds of fibres were found, but there was this one particular blue fibre that was placed on the database, and then two years later, a, a similar um, fibre was found in um, Kira's hair when similar examinations were done then. And when these two fibres eventually came together um, via the database and the scientists at the Chem Centre, it was found that they corresponded in width, in luster and in colour. And we saw a slide photograph of that comparison today and even to the naked eye, they looked identical. And so this was the moment, one of the moments, one of the very early moments, that all the assumptions and, and leads that the police had followed up because of the similarities in the murders, i.e. when they happened, the place they happened, the way that the girls were dumped, and everything that we've gone through over the past four or five months, this was a physical, forensic tangible link that uh, had been found in a lab and then was handed to the police to say this fibre on Kira matches this fibre on Jane and we think this is a link that you will need to explore in terms of if you find out where that fibre might have come from and you might find out who killed them. Wow and so this is um, four years before Bradley Edwards is arrested. Correct. So at this point in the in the in the vast um, topography of this case, they know that this blue fibre is it seems to be a match, but they don't know where it comes from and they haven't got a source. 
Um, and so that is why, um, as with many of the other fibres that were found over the, over the expanse of the investigation, they didn't really come into clarity, into, into, into crystalline clarity, and become potential um, key uh, prosecution evidence until Mr. Edwards is arrested, because they've got them all lined up in their database. They know that they say there's all these groups that match, and we, as we heard yesterday, the grey fibres that they'd, they'd matched and found on both women as well, they had found a source from that, that the car, the Holden Commodore VS series, particular series of car. Um, but again, they didn't have the car. They had a car type. Mm. And in, in, in the case of the blue fibers, they didn't have any source until Mr. Edwards was arrested. And when they, when he was arrested, then they dug deep and dug deeper and dug deeper. And even then, it took them two years, um, nearly three years, to um, make the link and prosecution say that link is the Telstra workwear, particular type of Telstra workwear that Mr. Edwards was wearing at the time of the murders, and they managed to get a sample, an exem exemplar um, of those trousers, which they tested against this blue fibre, um, and they then got a swatch, an original swatch from the manufacturers, which they also tested against that those blue fibres, that, were, that matched on Kira and Jane, and the prosecution say they were a match as well. And so, hence, the circle is complete, according to Miss Barbara Gallo and her prosecution team. So, Damien, how important uh, could this evidence uh, that we've heard today be that links these murders in this case? Oh, Nat, I think it's extremely important. I think that if, um, if um, Judge Hall accepts um, this, this evidence in the way that it seems that it's being presented at the moment, um, it's key to, um, as you just pointed out, linking all of these, um, these crimes together. And just off the back of those thoughts, Tim, just um, flowing on from what you had said then, what I found quite interesting was the use of the word match. Um, mm. We've been hearing about this, these fibres being matched and um, repeatedly we keep hearing about them getting matched to each other and to different um, source fibres and, and um, other things that seem mm. to be keeping the momentum of these fibres um, propelling forward. Mm. Tim, are you in a position to give us a bit of insight into what is a match? Yeah, absolutely, mate. So the way Mr Powell explained it, um, there are various elements to the fibres, obviously. Colour being the obvious one, but there is also a delustrant, which is the material that the manufacturer puts on the fiber that makes it shiny or not um, and the amount of illustrant you put on a fiber determines the, the the shine if you want to put it that way there's the actual diameter um, or the, the the breadth and of the of the fiber itself and then there's also the makeup of the fiber uh, it, it can be various um, shapes um, trilobal um, square it might have gaps in the middle if they if the manufacturer wanted a lighter fiber so it's not just a case of holding it up to the light and looking at it. Um, it's much, much more detailed and complex than that. And then there are various other methods that are used by the Chem Centre, as explained in court, um, to, to, to gauge all those um, uh, pieces of the puzzle, if you like. And what we've seen today over and over again, 
related to different fibers is the different types of um, microscope work that he's done and the different lights that are done on it the two that really stand out in terms of a visual thing it's it's what's called a, a a bright view um, of the of the fiber, which is you can see the fiber basically on a white background, and the, and it's through that you can see the delustrant and the width and, and 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 that type of thing. And then there's another camera that they use, which basically it looks like it's in negative, but in that camera it shows the um, there's a rainbow effect on the fiber, which shows what type of fiber it is. In this in the, this case of this first fiber that I spoke of, that was polyester, and it and it shows up on the on the microscope slide as a sort of rainbow um, effect yeah, um, and so it, it, and it's all and it's ticking all those boxes so it's putting one fiber uh, literally side by side with the other and seeing if the color matches the dilastric matches the width matches under all those different types of things and if they're all the all the boxes are ticked in bo on both sides then the, the scientist is confident enough to say these fibers correspond that is the word they use and that is what we would term as a match. But then they say if one or other, if one or um, other of the um, elements don't match, um, but some do, then they can say the fibre is similar. And then if there are various and um, the variance, you know, the colour doesn't match, the width doesn't match, then they'll say they differ and they cannot then conclude that those those fibers are matching so it's a it's, it's a very detailed process for it with every fiber um, and they go through all sorts of checks before they can say yeah we we say that fiber came from the same source as the other one description just given by tim that that mean that tells me that these fibers are significantly important in that they mm. will provide a thread if i can put it that way pardon the <laughs> pun for each of the cases to be linked together, which is what you, you asked me in the first point. And one might say, if they were looking at this from above and saying, well, it's just not enough to say that there's some fibres in each of these cases that seem to match up to a fibre that could be related to the accused person. And that's why this, this test is so important. It's beyond a reasonable doubt because it's not enough for the prosecution to come to the, state, the people of Western Australia and say, look, all these fibres match up. And even if they're impeccably matched across the whole set, there's variables that could create an environment where those fibres all matched up. But then when you throw in the other evidence, which we've heard about over the course of the podcast, th those fibres then become significantly important mm. because they're the things that are... That's the one thing that's threading everything together... And then you might say, well, that's not enough. But then you put everything else in amongst it, as we've discussed with the DNA before, they yes. become they become extremely um, central to how you might think about whether um, what's being alleged actually took place. And I think what you raised last week, Damien, about the fact that the prosecution weren't saying that these fibres directly came from Mr Edwards or, or a pair of pants that Mr Edwards had owned. I, 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 I think, if I'm paraphrasing what well, you said last what week correctly. To, yes. Yeah. But so, and that is why that this car, the, 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 the Holden Commodore that they miraculously found 20 years after Mr Edwards owned it, is so important. And, and it, it sort of brings everything together because 
what they say is that the fibres from that car were found on Jane and Kira, but they also say that those blue fibres that were found on Jane and Kira were also found in that car. And we know for a fact Mr Edwards has admitted that he drove and, and had control of that car for those two years. And the way they found those blue fibres where they went to a really dark recess of that car under a bracket, under a cover, which probably wouldn't have been touched or couldn't have been touched really for those 20 years, which is why they concentrated on those areas of that car. And they found those blue fibres. And of course, they've done the matching with the fibres that were found in the car, with the fibres that were found on the girls, and they matched as well. So without that car... It's it it, it 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 that that would have punched a a pretty big hole in in the in the in the whole picture you would think, because you could then say well, you know it's 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 improbable but it's not impossible that both Jane and Kira could have come into contact with someone from Telstra. You, 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 I mean, but to have those particular fibres in that car that Mr Edwards owned, that's the, that's the physical link, the direct silver line running through it all, which the, the prosecutor will, will, is, right as, as we speak, or just before we speak, was holding up and saying, yes, it all, all the cards match all the different elements and the last one is the physical link to Mr. Edwards and the car. Um, in relation to the fibres from the car, mm. um, you, given that you've, um, you, you've been sitting through the evidence and you've heard the, the um, direction that the prosecution and the defence are taking, could, could you say for certain that the fibres that they're using as a reference point could, um, coming from the victims could have come from the same model of car, but a different car. Well, you're talking about the grey fibres now, Damien. Yeah, those. Yeah, well, that's that's once again, that's that's why the discovery of this car was such was such a a, a massive bonus for the prosecution because they had already pinpointed precisely this make of car back in 2013 and then in the report in 2014, two years before Mr. Edwards was arrested, they they got a car, a Holden Commodore VS Series 1, tested it or got the samples from it, compared them to the, the grey fibres certainly found in, in Jane's hair and come up with that car. And that was in that report two years before. And then Fast forward two years, 2016, Mr. Edwards is arrested. They find his car on the same day, sees it. So not only have they got that to hang their hat on, well, look, we pointed to this make of car two years before you found this bloke. But then they had his car, and so they were able to get all the matches, all the, all the swatches and cutouts from the seat from there and compare them again. And lo and behold, what did the prosecution say? Well, they were a match as well. So... Once again, actually having the car um, and being able to point to those fibres and his car as being not just a car, not just that model of car, but that the car again is is just a it's just a huge um, um, piece of the puzzle which the prosecution say brings it all together. 
Yep. So that's why it was such a, a massive breakthrough at the time. Mm. Uh, Tim, were there any fibres that didn't match? Yeah, yeah, there were a few, um, Nat. Um, and I'm sure we're going to hear uh, quite a few more, uh, because as I mentioned yesterday, when, when the, all this fibre evidence was brought together in this report in 2014, 129 groups of fibres were found um, amongst the, the myriad of evidence. But we're only hearing about two, um, this grey group and this blue group. Now, when we get to the defence, and we know the defence have their own fibre experts, so they, they, this is an area where the defence have significantly concentrated on. They've got their own expert who's written a report, but we are yet to hear it, obviously. Um, but it is obviously an area that they're going to focus on. And some of the matches or some of the comparisons that Chem Centre made, um, they weren't a, an exact match. But what we, we're obviously going to hear about a lot of the exact matches, the, the, the corresponding matches, um, because that goes to their case. Now, when we get to the defence case, who knows what they'll what they'll they will show in their expert report? But we do know that there are thousands and thousands of other fibres that we are not going to hear about from the prosecution, and mm -hmm. and that that will be, I'm guessing, um, where the the defence might throw in some reasonable doubt or try right. to. And you mentioned earlier that you could see these comparison fibres in court today. Can you just describe that for us? I mean, to you and to the naked eye, did they look identical? Yes, they did. I mean, uh, Justice Hall was kind enough to release a, a sample of them. So um, there will be some around um, on the websites and things tomorrow if, if the listeners want to go and have a look. But um, you could basically say two fibers one on the left one on the right are lying down the middle of the of the slide um, and um, the critical fiber on the left and the comparison fiber on the right um, and they they're basically lined up to show that the color and the delustrant and the, the width all appear to match so if you were to take that a line out of the middle it would look like it was one single fiber um, and we saw dozens and dozens of them today, and we're going to see hundreds and hundreds more over the coming days. Um, where once they, you know, they got one critical fibre, and then they had to compare them to all the others. And then when we talked about the um, the, the hundreds of thousands of combinate possible combinations, um, and that's why um, the Chem Centre developed this database, so they wouldn't have to do it themselves. They could they could hit one and then try and compare it to everything else and the, the match would eventually um, spit out of the machine and, uh, and, and, and those are the matches that we're hearing about. Mm. And you mentioned that you know you only went really through a handful of these fibre comparisons today out of the mm -hmm. 98 critical fibres. So I'm curious as to just how long uh, <laughs> Reese Powell's could actually be on the stand. So are we and so was <laughs> Justice Hall. That was the last, very last question of the day that Justice Hall asked because the initial uh, estimation was for about four or five days for Mr. Powell to be on the stand, so you know, maybe finish Friday, possibly finish Monday. And as I said, 98 uh, to, to go through and five down. So you can do the maths. Mm. Um, if we go on that pace, we're going to be here until, well, well, at least next month. Justice Hall asked Ms. Barbagalla to make a guesstimate of how many fibres per day she thinks she could po possibly go through, because it, it wasn't just a case of um, that's one, that's the other, and on we go. Uh, um, Reese Powell 
I had put a summary sheet together of each critical fiber, exactly what had happened to it all the way through the journey, and then all the comparisons were made, and he had to show each one. And, and as, as Damien will no doubt know, it's not a case of just you know throwing a book at the judge and, and saying, read that. The evidence has got to be given in a formal way in open court for everyone to be able to examine it. Um, so, um, Ms. Barbagallo was asked for a, sort of sort of a pacing um, estimate. She said between eight and ten fibers per day to get through, oh. which which if we we are um, you know ninety three to go, even if we go on ten, that's nine days. So that's takes takes yeah. us to the end of next week. So there was a little bit of bartering um, done at the end of the day. And Mr. Jovich was asked whether. If there are any of these fibers that are not going to be contested by him, um, which would mean that the judge would not have to see the photos and go through it, and Mr. Yovich said he would try his best to go through them um, as we're going along and maybe, maybe um, um, pick out one or two, or maybe if we're lucky, ten or fifteen that we wouldn't have to actually do formally. But um, that is. That was a, you know, that, that is not something Mr. Jovic should or, or, or would concede um, easily just for the sake of time, because no. you know, um, as as we've said many many times during the course of the trial, it's not his job to to make it any you know less arduous or tedious. It is his job to scrutinise each and every piece of evidence as as closely as he can, um, and if he has. Um, questions about it. He, he, he. It's not just his right; it's his duty to ask them. Um, because you know, if he can, if he can create some doubt through those questions, and that is what he's there to do. Yeah. And we have chatted before about you know just this absolute detail in the fiber evidence and whether this had been used in other trials and and I know we sort of have suspected that maybe not to this degree but we've actually been contacted by a previous witness in this trial Belinda Evans and Tim she mentioned several other of these high profile cases that you're probably across where fibers did play a key part. Yeah. So um, uh, and we've got to thank Belinda for getting in touch because it's 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 you know hugely insightful um, to hear from an actual witness and, and she was kind enough to detail some of the other cases that she herself had worked on. Um, Belinda was actually mentioned in court today as having done some of the work on these critical fibres. So mm. um, and she's mentioned some that that she's done work on. One, one that Damien might probably be aware of as well was uh, was a, a, a double murder in, in Western Australia which if I'm correct in my memory resulted in the single highest minimum sentence ever handed down for a, a murder. This was a murder of a couple by the name of Frank and Kim LaRosa. Um, this was a particularly um, brutal murder um, resulting in the death of both um, the, the LaRosas um, and the, um, the 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 chap who was um, eventually convicted of that murder got a, a minimum jail term of thirty plus years from memory, um, and uh, and um, Belinda said that she she had done fibre work on on that case. There was another murder up in and the holiday town of of Broome in the north of Western Australia, which she'd also um, done work on. 
and another murder case of a, of a homeless um, man in Fremantle, um, which is south of Perth, um, that she'd also worked on, as well as some other um, armed robbery cases, including one where the accused was wearing a red Santa suit, um, and she was um, asked to actually um, analyse the fibres left behind at the scene. So, um, yeah, obviously... We know fibres are a, a growing forensic um, area of, 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 of interest in criminal cases and, and expertise, but um, but I think even Miss um, Evans might concede that maybe yeah. never um, in, in, in a trial um, in Perth would we have possibly heard so much fibre evidence from so many expert witnesses and in such um, in such detail. Yeah, such incredible detail. Um, now, just some uh, COVID news here in WA. Obviously, uh, coronavirus is still having devastating impacts. Um, but we heard today that one of those iconic Claremont night spots that we've been talking about has announced that it won't reopen its doors after the um, pandemic is over. So, Damien, you you might have visited uh, the concert oh, in your day. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt in my mind. I always had. I always like to know what's happening in my community. So I'm going to say that on the occasions that I might have wandered into that uh, wonderful establishment, I have been in there purely on a reconnaissance mission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is. Um, I mean, this is this is this. Well, I mean, it's obviously uh, relevant to us given that how much we talked about um, the mm. Claremont Hotel or what was the Continental Hotel. Um, and yeah, the, the owners, current owners, did announce today um, that um, due to COVID-19 and the restrictions currently on bars opening in Perth, that they won't be reopening after those um, those uh, restrictions are lifted. Um, they, they, there's been some a lot of talk in recent years about um, a, a development of that hotel because it is an historic sort of building and that takes a lot of work. Um, but yeah, pretty much. Um, after the trial, um, or I think they're going to close in the next week or so. Um, and so, even before the trial is finished, the, the yeah. Continental and the Claremont, as we know it, um, will 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 cease to exist. It will exist as a as a, um, a night spot at some stage in the future, but it certainly will not look anything like. Um, um, what it looks like now. Um, so that uh, again brings into focus the videos that we, that myself That's and Kate right. produced just a couple of weeks ago, where we stood at the pole, um, where where Jane was was last seen. And um, I think if the plans, as they are um, formulated, go ahead, um, that part of the building will be part of the building that that won't be there anymore. Which um, which will be yeah, it will, it will be an iconic. And part of, of the Perth's western suburbs which, which will disappear forever. That's right. So if you would like to see that area and, and see what it looks like for yourself, that video, as Tim mentioned, is on thewest.com.au and it's a two-part video. And Tim, you also take us to um, the burial sites of uh, Kira and Jane. So we know what's in store for tomorrow. Just a couple of quick questions, though, before we go. We've got one from Amelia. I'm interested in how the prosecution puts its case with respect to the blood or lack thereof found in the accused man's vehicle. Is the prosecution's contention that Kira and Jane had their injuries inflicted at the places where their bodies were found? Otherwise, one assumes if the injuries were inflicted before or during their time in the vehicle, there would have been traces of blood. 
Yeah, well, they certainly did look for that blood in that car when they found it and did not did not find anything, any, any biological link at all um, to either of the, the girls, um, whether that be hair or um, fibres from, certainly from, from Kira's clothes or um, any blood or anything. Um, way, way back at the start of the trial, it was, it was, it was postulated by the prosecution that certainly in Kira's case, um, because of the way she was found and the way that the blood had pooled under her body um, and then soaked into her T-shirt, um, that at the very least she was still bleeding when she was placed at that site. Mm -hmm. So that was it. So that was um, the, the argument. There was that it was it was more likely than not that she had been injured there um, um, and. Um, the, the wounds had been inflicted where she was found um, because of the bleeding. In, in Jane's case, because there were no clothes found on the body, um, it was it was much harder to make that um, assumption, um, and that is why a lot of vegetation and, in fact, the inch of soil, um, or certainly vegetation from where under from where Jane had lay, was collected and examined very very closely, because. Um, they were trying to establish um, a forensic link or, or what what basically had happened um, at that site and if anything had happened at that site or where it was done. So it's a really good question from the media um, and it's a, again a, a, a long answer but the short answer is no blood was found in that car and so the prosecution have not been able to say anything happened in that car other than what they say is the physical forensic link between the girls and the car which they say means they must have been in it at some point yeah and Damien uh, a question for you from Kit who's listening in from Brooklyn Damien brought up a point about the Telstra fabric fibre match only narrowing down the field to Telstra workers I wonder if there was research done to see who else working at Telstra at the time drove the same sort of car at least that would match with the fibres and perhaps had close contact with Mr Edwards, could there be a case made that the transferred DNA came from another Telstra worker who worked in proximity to Mr Edwards, had some of his transferred DNA on him and committed the murder? That would explain the fibres from the car and the uniform. I certainly wouldn't believe it, but reasonable doubt is a funny thing. <laughs> Well, it's a great question, um, Kit, because when we're in the process of um, trying to prove or um, resist the prosecution being able to prove something, one of the things that becomes really important is what the evidence shows. Now, everybody says, well, that's an obvious statement, but I think when you're trying to get to the bottom of and answer that question, what does the evidence tell us? So what we were talking about earlier in this podcast um, was how when you put two sets of evidence together, the case becomes stronger. So in, in this case, it, what we're talking about here is you are potentially saying, could it be said that somebody else was the contributor of the fibres and that somebody else was the contributors of the DNA? Well, it certainly could be. But what the, the judge or the jury or whoever the person is, um, is has got to get to the bottom of is, is there any evidence before the court that says that that's something that's a reasonable proposition or is it is it is the evidence before the court um, such that if I could put it this way you are cornered into a position where it's very difficult to um, accept that, that that's 
something that's possible. And I think that you answered your own question when you said you would find it quite difficult to believe. Mm. <laughs> and I'm, I'm certainly not saying that, you know, I, I, I see it either way. I, I always try to approach these things with a really neutral view. I think that for any um, advocate, I think that it's, it's um, difficult if you go in there with a view about how something's going to play out. I think you need to let something play out completely in your sight, uh, as in by way of the trial, let something completely play out before you um, can say, as, as you said there, that it would be difficult to believe. But let's see where all this evidence takes us. We never know what tomorrow brings. You never know what the defence are going to yeah. do. So there's, there's still a lot of water to pass under the bridge. But your observation and the way that you thought that through, um, in my view, it's only my humble view, is really good. And it's, yeah. these are the points that I've been trying to make with Tim and Nat and Ali along the way, is that even though they say these fibres are super important, let's just check every angle. Isn't, isn't it possible yeah. that these Telstra pants were, work, were, were worn by a Telstra worker from, from the Northern Territory who was visiting? You know, There's all these different hypotheses you could come up with about how those materials um, could be where they are. But the point is the prosecution are slowly but surely whittling them down so that there's very little wriggle room um, for all those hypotheses to be. And, and there's going to come a point, I would have thought, where the prosecution have gotten absolutely to the, the, the highest they can take it. And, and there's probably still a little bit of wriggle room, if I could put it that way, when they get to that point. But the question is then, what does the evidence say to the person making the decision? You know, is, the, is there any other possible um, alternatives on the evidence? And I mean, that's, that's, it's a very difficult question to answer. And I mean, that's why juries often struggle with that um, concept, because... Um, that's not a not an easy concept for ten or twelve people to agree on. So, in, in some senses, this judge is in a in a in an advantageous position because he's just got that decision to make himself. Yeah. And I think Kit has 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 previewed something that we're going to hear about um, towards the end of this fibre evidence now, and that's something called adventitious matches, which is a a posh scientific way of saying could the fibres have come from anything anywhere else. Yeah. And we got a, just a tiny preview of that today on this massive spreadsheet that Mr. Powell had pre has produced um, with over 2,000 lines on it of all the different types of fibres that they've tested. And obviously we're talking about critical fibres here, but they've also tested what they call adventitious matches, which are possible other sources of these fibres. And they included, and we saw a few today, police uniforms, police forensic uniforms, um, uh, state mortuary uniforms, other cars and things of that nature. So what the prosecution have done there is try to head off the defence at the pass and say, aha, we think you're going to try and say, well, couldn't yeah. the blue fibres have come from coppers? Um, and so we've gone out, we found the uniforms from 95, 96, 97, we tested them and then we're going to say, well, look, there's the evidence. This is the forensic uniform that they would have been wearing um, at the scene of, of Jane's body's discovery, for instance. Um, and we've got one of those uniforms, we've tested it against this blue fibre, and we are going to say 
no, they don't match because X, Y, Z. So um, it's 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 a really good question for that reason. Um, it's so good, in fact, that the prosecution asked it of themselves um, some time ago, and um, we'll be putting forward evidence. We think um, to try and um, to try and cut out, or as Damien's put it, to try and lessen the room for wriggle. Um, so when it comes to the defence, um, they've, they've they've really got um, they've really got their work cut out. Good on you, Kit. You are ahead of the game there. Yes, and, and uh, Kit, Kit was the prize for question of the week, and it's only Tuesday. <laughs> and I think you're right, Jamie, and I, I really love how everyone following this podcast is is challenging their own thoughts on the evidence and, and really thinking very deeply about it because the t questions are incredibly insightful. And, and one question that all the listeners could start to ask themselves is one that I think we've been over and over time and time again, but it's one that the, the listeners could really start to ask themselves if you were the defence lawyer, would you put Mr Edwards on the stand? <laughs> if any of our listeners could answer that question, they can email um, Claremont Podcast at... Um, well, you know the email better than I do now. Claremont Podcast at wrnews.com.au. Absolutely. Let us know what you think. Which way are you going with this fun? Well, thank you both so very much for your time and your expertise, and thank you for your company. We'll be back tomorrow for day 73 of Claremont in Conversation. Chat then. This podcast was produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. For a fresh take on the news that matters, tune in to WA's newest morning show, The West Live, with Jenna Clark at thewest.com.au. The West Live not only delivers on what the day's big news stories mean for WA with hard-hitting interviews and analysis, but it will also make you smile with light-hearted chats and local gossip. The West Live, like talkback radio, but without the interruptions. Listen live weekdays from 8.45am on thewest.com.au or catch up with the podcast.